American lager beer, as most of us know it, is really a recent invention. And unlike anything else in the world, well, except for where we've exported it to, which we have done a lot of, before the mid-19th century, ales, they were dark, thick, robust beers, heavy on malt with little hops or other bittering agents. Those were the only kind of beer that was known in North America until the 1840s. Lager beer was unheard of before then. Why? Because before the clipper ship was invented and able to make the voyage across the Atlantic in less than four weeks, lager yeast would not survive the time it took to get to America from Germany. Hence, there were no lager breweries in the USA until after the mid-19th century. Now, there's still a dispute about who brewed the first lager in America. One source claims it was in Philadelphia in 1840 when Bavarian John Wagner first brewed lager. Another claims it to be Johann Adam Limp, who opened his brewery in St. Louis around 1840. I say around 1840 because the exact dates are a little iffy. Limp's Brewery eventually became the Falstaff Brewing Company, predating Anheuser-Busch by 30 years or so. And Limp's claim to be the first brewer of lager was not his own, and its origins are a little sketchy, because the claim wasn't made by the brewery until by Limp's great-great-grandchildren did it sometime after Prohibition. But regardless of who was responsible for brewing the first lager in the United States, it soon became the most popular beer in America. The German beer barons, Frederick Paps, Joseph Schlitz, Frederick Miller, Adolf Coors, Adolphus Busch, and his father-in-law, Eberhard Anheuser, the aforementioned Johann Limp, among others, they wished to brew a beer like that which they had brewed in the Deutschland, such as the Helles style of Bavarian beer, golden and clear in color, with light hop character, not too bitter, refreshing, and easy drinking. And although Germany has a great variety of brewing traditions, these styles are the most famous around the world, precisely because it was the preferred style of the German immigrant brewers of that day in the United States. But there was a slight problem. The German brewers had to use North American barley, a variety called six-row, as opposed to what they knew in Germany, the two-row barley. And although they tried to import and plant two-row here in the United States, it didn't do well because of the extreme summers and winters here in North America. And the American six-row barley, it had some problems. It was gummier, had a higher protein content, lower fermentable sugar count, and it made for a cloudy beer, which that wasn't what the German brewers wanted. They wanted that pretty clear golden beer. Why? Well, another thing that was occurring in the U.S. after the Civil War was advances in the manufacture of cheap glassware. Glass was beginning to replace ceramics, woods, and metals as the drinkware of choice. And that cloudy American barley beer just didn't look as good in a glass as did its German counterpart. To import German two-row barley to the Americas was cost-prohibitive. So they solved the problem by adding lower protein grains like rice and corn. These grains contain easily fermentable dextrose sugars and they don't have the gluten. That's the protein that makes the beer cloudy. And the new concoction 
emulated the native German lagers, at least in appearance, although there was a loss in the maltiness that one would find in the old world beer. But these pre-prohibition lagers with this blend of rice or corn and six-row barley were still delicious. And with the advances in refrigeration in the late 1800s, served cold and refreshing and fairly close to what was being brewed back home in Germany. These light-bodied, cold-fermented and refreshing lagers, with the advances in transportation, soon spread up and down the East Coast and then across the country. 100% barley beer in America was over, at least for a few decades. So that brings us to today. Why does, or did, Miller and Coors use corn and Anheuser-Busch use rice? Simple. Geography. Miller in Milwaukee, Coors in Colorado, because of rail transportation, had better access to corn grown on the prairies and plains of the Midwest, while Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis on the Mississippi River found it cheaper and easier to get rice from the American South by barge. So, these adjuncts became a part of the German-American lager tradition. And not because it was cheaper, but because it made the beer look prettier. And besides that, most Americans didn't even know the difference. So, put that in your dilly-dilly and smoke it. This is episode 34. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tadman. Hello everybody, greetings from the home office on the bluffs above the ice flows in the Missouri River. Welcome to the Brews Traveler and thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. I am Alan Tapman, and I will be your host for the better part of this next hour. I'm back home from my trip to Colorado, and I want to report my personal state of the Beer Nation address. If Colorado is any indication of the rest of the United States, the state of beer in America is not only good, it's fantastic. As a matter of fact, I will call the brewery scene in Colorado F-cubed. Fantastic, funky, and fun. Thanks again to my friends Bryant and Deidre Fuchs and uh, the voice of the Bruce Traveler, Jessica Machetta, for being such gracious hosts to allow me to stay in their homes and wander around with me while I drank some fine brews along the front range of the Rockies. And one of those visits is featured this week on the show. I'll be talking to Tristan Chan, marketing manager for Ratio Beer Works of Denver, one of the most highly respected small breweries in a city full of highly respected small breweries. And in the weeks to come, you can expect to hear additional Rocky Mountain High interviews from Longmont, Boulder, Loveland, Berthoud, Estes Park, Lafayette, and Denver. So, in order to not burn you out on Colorado, if that's possible, and if the weather holds out, uh, here in about two weeks, I think I'm going to head southwest again, this time to Oklahoma and Baja, Oklahoma, uh, also known as Tejas, and check out some breweries down 
that way. No promises yet, but that is what it is looking like towards the end of February, 1st of March. But I have to be back home in JCMO for St. Patrick's Week, beginning Saturday, March 9th, and running through Sunday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, at Patty Malone's Irish Pub. So uh, that's the itinerary for the next few weeks. Also on today's show, freelance journalist Tony Rehagen and I look at that controversy that Anheuser-Busch started last Sunday during the Super Bowl by slamming their competitors for using corn syrup in their brewing process. They've opened up a whole new can of worms, and I think it's going to bite them in the... You know, I think you probably already know where I'm headed with this, but stick around. You might learn a thing or two. So let's not waste any more time and get into it. From last week, I sat down with Tristan Chan of Ratio Beer Works at their brewery in the Rhino District, downtown Denver, Colorado, and here it is, your interview of the week. Hello, everybody. Coming from the River North neighborhood in Denver, Colorado, I'm sitting here with Tristan Chan. He is the marketing manager for Ratio Beer Works, and thank you so much, Tristan, for taking the time to sit down with the Bruce Traveler. Yeah, thank you for having us on the show. We're really excited. Well, you know, I knew I was going to be coming to Denver. I didn't know how much time I was going to have. I had some other things on the side, but I, I'm so glad that you got my email and you got back to me because this was one of the places that my buddy Brooks Scott, who lives in Chicago, he travels a lot, but he's a he's a craft beer nerd. Yeah. And he said, you got to check out Ratio and Rhino. And I'm yeah. so glad that you were able to sit down and talk with us today. Absolutely. More than happy to. This is a, a great looking space here. And you, Thank you. I, I understand you get raves in the summertime for your patio. Oh yeah, the patio is a killer for sure. We, uh, you know, the, one of the really important things when Ratio started was wanting to create a very communal space where people felt like they could have great conversations, you know, hang out with friends and feel very much at home. Um, we had the benefit, uh, our two co-founders, Jason Brennan and Scott Kaplan, uh, have been very thoughtful throughout the entire process. Um, but we also have the benefit that Jason's wife, Christy, is an interior designer. So uh, she really viewed this space as an opportunity to, to kind of put her stamp on, on the project and really make it her own. So a lot of the, the, the tap room the experience that you see here uh, channels a lot of uh, mid-mod vibes. Um, and then also, you know, we, we really liked the use of repeating patterns. So a lot of that was very thoughtful in the design of the interior here. And we, we also got really lucky. Uh, one of the big things that stands out as you walk in, into this space is this beautiful marquee sign that displays our beer. Um, and you know it kind of is right there, right above the bar, so it's prominently displayed. People immediately know what kind of beers we have on tap and what their choices are. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's a cool spot. Uh, long tables with benches, which is open for communal activities, yep. groups, you know, and. I know Americans are a little weird about sharing a table with other people. <laughs> of course, my friend Jessica, we've talked about this. There's no problem with that in Europe. No, I mean, not you at know, all. You know, you and we, we really do, especially on the patio, we really do want to encourage uh, more of that. I think right. there's there's something serendipitous about you know people meeting and uh, sharing a beer together who you know might might have started out as strangers but can become friends afterwards, and oh. that's that's really what we're striving to to provide a space for. 
I've made a lot of good friendships over good beer, so I, I agree. Totally. So tell me, how did Ratio Beer Works get started? Totally. So like I mentioned, Jason Zimbrunnen and Scott Kaplan are our two co-founders. They actually met through the punk rock music scene way back in the day. Uh, Jason played in a band called... Watch out, we're using the term way back in the day. <laughs> anyway, they, they yeah. met many years ago in the punk rock music scene. Sure, so, so they actually both went to CU Boulder, um, which is right up the, the right. Up, right up the road in Boulder, Colorado. Um, they, they both went to CU Boulder, but they also uh, happened to be in the punk rock music scene at the time. Jason played in a band called The Fairlanes, and Scott played in a number of bands and also uh, worked for a number of different record labels. And uh, it was through that, you know, touring scene that they really became friends. And many years later, reconnected through a mutual friend uh, around the time that Jason was looking to start a brewery. Now, after his touring days uh, with the Fairlanes, he decided that he wanted to go back to school uh, and kind of channel his engineering background and uh, study brewing. So he went to the Siebel Institute in Chicago, one of the premier brewing institutes right. in the country, did his externship at Domen's Academy in Germany, um, and really got a very traditional background in brewing. Um, afterwards, he came back to Colorado, where he's from originally, and uh, did did some stints at uh, Wincoop Brewing and also at AC Golden. So he actually got this cool kind of cross-section of, of breweries in terms of different types. With Wincoop, you had Denver's oldest craft brewery, uh, but it was also still very much on a smaller scale and using equipment that was very much dated back to the early 80s or so when it first started. Um, with AC Golden, uh, many of you might know that it's the experimental branch of Coors Brewing, and so they had access to pretty much any resource that they needed to brew at the time, and they were also able to you know, experiment with smaller batches but also scale up on a large system as well. So with AC Golden, you know, one of their, one of their largest brands is uh, Colorado Native, which uh, actually is now distributed pretty widely across the state uh, using all Colorado ingredients. But they also have the benefit of working on smaller batch experimental projects such as their Sour Series, uh, doing a lot of barrel aging, uh, clean barrels, and also wild barrels as well. So um, with AC Golden, he really had the opportunity to, to learn both, both ends of the spectrum with some of the best ingredients in the world. Um, but then it came time, you know, they wanted to, he wanted to start his own project and uh, really looked to uh, put his stamp by taking traditional styles and giving it a little bit of a modern twist to it. So uh, when we look at our portfolio of beer, kind of the, the, the main uh, example that I like to point out is our Dear You French Saison, which is what I believe you're drinking right now. It is. Um, with that beer, it's a, it's a perfect example of that traditional style with a little bit of a modern twist to it in that we use a French Saison yeast strain, which is you know, very historic and traditional, uh, maybe not as widely used as right, the Belgian as yeast the strain, yeah, but yeah. still, you know, when you think of um, some of the more traditional, traditional Saisons right. out there, it's very similar in style. It's just, you just get more of a drier, kind of cleaner finish. That's it, that's it, yeah, yeah. The finish, it, a lot of times Saison, I like farmhouse ales, I like Saisons, sure. but sometimes you'll get a hold of one and it'll be very sticky at the a end. Little and, and, gummy, a yeah, little bubblegummy, a little yeah, yeah, banana. Little sweetness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one is very nice. You get all of those esters and those smells up front and those flavors totally. on your palate, but it clean it's a clean, dry finish. Oh, very absolutely. nice. 
very drinkable. And then we, we actually give it that little modern flair by uh, dry hopping it with citra hops. So you do get a natural kind of citrus uh, aroma and flavor to it, all, all derived straight from hops. That brings us up to Jason and Scott. They had this idea for a brewery. They wanted to take traditional brewing techniques, put their own spin on it. Totally. When did that happen here? So that we actually opened in 2015. So we're, uh, as we're recording this podcast, we're actually a week out from our four-year anniversary. Okay, um, cool. We actually opened on uh, Valentine's Day 2015. Uh, but, you know, we, when, when, when the brewery opened, um, we really sought to kind of channel those punk rock roots uh, by using this brewery as a vehicle to give back to local arts groups, community groups, um, with a focus on arts and music. Um, we want to, we want to, you know, we see we see beer as being something more than just you know a liquid that you enjoy, but really, it's it's an opportunity to create community. It's an opportunity to support the endeavors that you really care about. And because of their musical background, they really wanted to bring music to the forefront of our focus in community. So we support uh, local community groups such as Girls Rock Denver, Youth on Record. Um, we partner with the Museum of Contemporary Art here in, in Denver as well, uh, Denver Film Society. Um, all of those very arts focused and um, we can kind of give back. And um, the incredible thing since I've been working here is you know, each year as we continue to grow as an organization, our goal is to give about 10% of the beer and or revenue that we generate from the tap room back to those local community groups. So, you know, last year we uh, produced about 2,600 barrels of beer. This year we, we produced about 3,600 barrels of beer. Wow, and that's a huge jump. Yeah, and um, as we continue to grow, we our, our co-founders are incredible in sitting down with us and saying like, hey guys, you know, it's, it's great that you gave this much beer last year, but we produced this much beer this year, so you need to give out even more. Right. And you need to give give more to the community um, because we're producing more beer. The name. Yeah. Ratio. Where does that come from? So, as you probably kind of gleaned from our conversation thus far, uh, there's a lot that goes into ratio beyond just the beer. Um, you know, so when, when they started the, the brewery, they kind of had that already in mind. Um, they wanted ratio to be representative of all of these different parts that comprise the brewery beyond just brewing beer. And so ratio is really representative of the equal parts of you know, music, arts, community, um, comedy, uh, nonprofits, and then of course the beer itself. But all of that is kind of balanced into these different ratios that comprise one whole one community it's right. also you know it also is indicative of all of these different ingredients and right. ratios that go into actually brewing the beer but at its core you know we are more than just the beer and so we want the name to be representative of that as well so Tristan you yourself how did you get involved in the craft beer scene is that your original background or did you come to it a little bit through a different avenue yeah so I actually am from the great state of Kentucky originally, born and raised there. You wouldn't notice it through the through the accent <laughs> or lack thereof. But uh, I moved out here in 2009 and uh, was connected to Colorado. What brought me to Colorado was uh, AmeriCorps. I actually worked with the Boys and Girls Clubs up in Fort Collins oh, cool. the first year that I moved out here. And for those, for anybody who's familiar with AmeriCorps, it's kind of like the Peace Corps, in, but in, in America. In the United States, yes. Yeah. 
Um, but during that year of service, you're actually paid less than minimum wage. Right. So all I could afford to do on the weekends was to visit breweries uh, that offered free, free samples of beer. Right. Uh, New Belgium being kind of at the core of that New Belgium and Odell. So that's where I was first introduced to craft beer. Um, I studied journalism in college. And so at the time when I was visiting these breweries, I learned about this incredible community that was developing in this craft beer industry. Um, it was kind of right at the cusp of this great renaissance for craft beer right. in the United States. And I kind of sensed this, there was something special going on here. And so I wanted to figure out a way that I could give back to this scene without actually brewing because I personally don't have the science background or patience right. that goes into these meticulous you know, brew days that are very repetitive. So I decided I wanted to start my own publication um, called PorchDrinking.com. And uh, we launched this publication about six years ago. And, uh, and, and then I, you know, our focus with Porch Drinking was to tell incredible stories within the craft beer industry and pro promote craft beer through positivity. And so it was through Porch Drinking that I was introduced to, to Ratio right when it opened. Uh -huh. I actually came here to cover the opening day, uh, or actually the media day, um, and immediately fell in love with the beer. You know, sometimes we, we like to give breweries a couple months before we right. really judge or at least, you know, try to share yeah. their story. It's a little yeah, time to dial agree. in those recipes yeah. as people are scaling up, but with the ratio, man, all the beers were, you know, out of this world right from the get-go. And Yeah, Jason and, and Scott were polished and they knew where they were going. They were dialed, and yeah. so I was really impressed by that. I love the... Uh, you know the aesthetic here I love the vibe I love the music and so it quickly became my own personal neighborhood brewery um, and so a year into uh, ratios existence they happened to be hiring for this marketing manager position and I just got really lucky that I was able to join the team at that time you in the right place at the right time exactly so why uh, why did they choose uh, River North sure well we also kind of stroke of luck in that sense um, you know, River North is a is a very interesting neighborhood. Uh, when we first opened here uh, about four years ago, we were only, I think, the third or fourth brewery in the neighborhood. Now there's over 12 within a half mile radius. But historically, this neighborhood was, you know, all warehouses. Right. Um, not, it was a little bit more rough and tumble around the edges. It was very much an industrial area that um, at the time, uh, was inhabited mostly by artists. So River North is very much, it's, it's become an incorporated art district over the years. And, um, you know, one of the cool things is that it just so happened to align with our brand identity of what Jason and, and Scott were trying to accomplish at the time. Um, and, at the, and at the time, like I said, where we're located in, in River North was kind of the farthest reaches that had any sort of commercial uh, touch at the time at all. And so um, they, they really kind of lucked into this uh, over the past four years. This, this area has transformed completely. Uh, right. Not only from the breweries that are here, but also the commercial businesses that are here. And so now it's become one of the most densely populated uh, beer neighborhoods in the country. Um, so it's really become a destination in that sense. But, you know, one of the things that we really strive to do is to create dialogue and create opportunities for artists to maintain what they do here because they're very much a huge part of what made this neighborhood so special to begin with. 
you know, nowadays there's a there's a festival that happens each year called Crush that features over a hundred artists that des descend upon the neighborhood and produce street art and murals, um, and that in and of itself has made this neighborhood look incredible. So now there's a thing, the thing that goes here with the murals, it's something like there's one day where they're all whitewashed and yep. people start over. What's it's, that called? That's Crush. Yeah, Crush. exactly what we were talking right. about. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, that, that festival has also uh, evolved over time as well. Um, this past year, Shepard Ferry, which is a very renowned, well-renowned artist who did the uh, the Hope Obama um, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I, yeah. logo. The, the iconic logo. Uh, yeah. he, he came down and did uh, a piece over across from Denver Central Market. But, you know, one of the coolest things is, you know, Denver has this incredible street art community here locally as well. And we want to make sure that we're supporting those artists and endeavors uh, so that they can continue to grow and we can continue to you know, ferment a, a strong, strong base of artists here locally as well. So um, you know, we, we, we were lucky enough to have an artist do a piece on one of our outdoor um, shipping containers. Um, two, three years ago, we actually had Blaine Fontana, a Portland artist who happened to be in town the first year that we were open because his wife was actually working in the beer industry and he was drinking in our tap room and loved the vibe loved the aesthetic but noticed that we had this blank white wall on the outside so he said hey guys next year i want that wall and uh you know we we were really lucky in that sense because he's worked on projects with the world cup he's done stuff for nike for target so he's he's a very well-regarded uh, artist, and he happened to want to put his kind of uh, footprint that's, on ratio as well. That's awesome. But yeah, we, we really do try to work with the artists locally as much right. as possible. So would I be safe in saying that, you know, this was this was a dream location for being involved in the art community? It really was. It yeah. was kind of this perfect confluence of things coming together, um, you know, supporting our, our brand as a whole, but also supporting the neighborhood too. Great. Yeah. The brew house, how many barrels? 20 barrel brew system. Okay, and fermenting. Uh, I know that's kind of an odd one to say because a lot of people now, and yeah. I know you guys are doing barrel fermenting, and sure. so, but approximately? So we've got four 20 barrel fermenters, and then so we there's also a have- 80. We also have three 60 barrel fermenters. Okay. Um, and then we do actually do a little bit of barrel that's fermentation as well. That's, so yeah, that's we, 200 barrels, and that's not in counting the wood. Correct. Wow. The wood, the wood program is still emerging. We're still growing that slowly, um, but yeah, we're, we're we've been very thoughtful about our growth, trying to remain organic in our growth. Um, but we are looking to grow pretty substantially in the next few years. And so uh, annual production, you said last year was uh, 36, 2018 was 3600. Yep. Correct. Um, portfolio. Uh, I, I, do you pretty much have some flagships that you stay with? And Absolutely. Then, yeah. So uh, Domestica, which is our American Standard Ale, Dear You, our Citra Dry Hop French Saison, uh, Repeater, our Extra Pale Ale, Rented World, our Session IPA, Antidote, our I West Coast Style IPA, and Hold Steady, our uh, Chocolate Rye Scotch Ale. Those kind of comprise our core styles. What's your favorite? My favorite of those? Man, uh, Domestica is just a great, easygoing kind of, I call it a lawnmower beer. Right. You know, it's your day-to-day, easy-drinking beer. 
Um, I love that. We also call it our show beer because of you know going to sh- going to a, a right. show, a rock concert, or whatever. But as far as kind of crowd favorites, dear you, it's you know people in the industry when we tell them that our, our French saison is kind of the the best seller, it all, it blows their minds because right? it's usually it's usually IPAs, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I think we we really just hit it out of the park with this saison, so delicate, you know, so well balanced. It's uh, complex enough for you to enjoy for special occasions, but it's also easy drinking enough that you can enjoy it on a day-to-day basis. Um, so do you, do you have any seasonals that like are annual oh, things absolutely. and it's a big deal? Sure, so we have a couple. Um, Genius Bourbon Barrel Age Genius Wizard, which is on tap right now, um, it's, it's kind of our big showpiece beer that uh, since inception has kind of been intentional. You know, we've, we've always wanted to, to really showcase that one. That The first batch of beer that we ever produced was Genius Wizard as a Russian Imperial Stout that immediately went into bourbon barrels. Yeah. So that first batch that was, that was brewed on our system went into bourbon barrels to age for 12 months. After those 12 months, you get this beautiful kind of uh, a little bit leathery, a little bit from the from the molasses. Yeah. You get some great roasted notes from it, and then great cocoa kind of flavor to it. Um, and you get this beautiful uh, bourbon barrel aged Russian Imperial Stout. I'll have uh, to each, have a small glass. Absolutely, of that. Yeah. it's twelve percent, so small glass right, is probably right. the way to go. But over the years, we actually celebrate its release with a special release event. For the past two years, we partnered with local artists to put in an art installation in our brew house to transform that space to feel like a kind of wizardly, kind of mystical world. And so it's kind of like forest, wizard, you know, like a little bit of alternative feel to it, but it's a complete, it looks completely different. Um, and then we also have v- different variant takes on it that people can who buy a ticket can try. So this year we had a vanilla coconut version, we had a Novo coffee uh, version, we had an orange chocolate version. So you, you go into this immersive experience and then there's different beer stations where you can try these different variant takes on our Genius Wizard. And we also bring in uh, local restaurateurs to showcase some of their food yeah. to pair with that beer as well. Beers and bites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other, the other big specialty beer that we recently um, released was our uh, King of Carrot Flowers, Carrot Elderflower Saison. Now this is a very, very unique kind of specialty beer that we did with uh, Eat Denver for Harvest Week. Okay. And it actually uses carrot juice in the beer. Uh, so you instead, you get this bright, uh, kind of illuminate orange colored beer, and it drives people crazy because they look at it and they're like, what is this? What is yeah. this? This is so unique, I need to try this. Um, and it really does have kind of pear notes from the elderflower, uh-huh. balanced with kind of that dry Saison base. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's something that most people have never tried before. So distribution. Are yep. you guys uh, bottling, canning, and going anywhere outside of your uh, location here? Really, uh, we only do special bottle releases on occasion. So okay. for Genius Wizard, for example, right. we, we always do a big bottle release then. But otherwise, we're really just uh, on draft. And you can also buy crowlers from our taproom to go. So are you, do you have draft accounts in other bars? Okay. I, I think we have close to 300 uh, wow. accounts across the state. We really have been thoughtful in our growth. When I, when I talk about being organic and thoughtful in our growth, that is kind of the main way that we've been very thoughtful. We, we've, we've not tried to rush to market right. in terms of packaged goods. Um, we really have just focused on draft accounts so that we can build a loyal base of followers so that they really understand our product and understand the brand. Um, you know, eventually we definitely want to 
get to the point where we can can or, or bottle our beer for larger distribution. But right now, we're really content in well, growing internally and organically. Are you familiar with New Glarus Brewing in Wisconsin? Absolutely, yeah. we are. They're very much a brewery that we kind of model ourselves a off lot of, of people do and the yeah. reason that a lot of people follow them as a model is because they do things right exactly absolutely we had the privilege of listening to deb speak at the last craft brewers conference right and it was incredible hearing their story and kind of touching on what you just mentioned of you know pulling back distribution to really focus internally on on their home state we we that's kind of the model that we're really trying to strive for we don't have any plans to leave colorado anytime soon uh, we think that there's plenty of opportunities here. Um, you know, it may be a crowded marketplace already, but we also feel like there, you know, we have a very educated um, audience here in Colorado that is constantly seeking great beer, regardless of, you know, how many brands there are out there in the marketplace. So, yeah. Your personal observations. You've been in this business now as a marketing guy for what four or five years. Sure. Yeah. All right. Is there something about this industry that completely surprised you? You didn't think you'd ever, you, it wasn't something that you anticipated when you got into the business. Yeah, I think, I think, well, something that I'm still a little bit surprised about nowadays is it, it still surprises me right now that there are still breweries out there that completely disregard um, the fact that there are women beer drinkers, that that there are people other than you know white Caucasian male beer drinkers, and that they have no regard whatsoever. In yeah. love one. <laughs> We're not gonna. What? I'm not. I'm personally not gonna name any names. I will say it. All, all, all I'll say is that you know. I understand people being sensitive about not wanting to be overly political, politically correct, but you're alienating a wide audience of people by making, by unnecessarily being misogynistic. Misogynistic, exactly. And, so, your beer, and the beer. I know. Yeah. The beer is absolute. But they were crowded, and uh, I, 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 they had a Belgian fruit ale called. And it tasted like pure peach puree. I took two drinks of it. I told my buddy Bryant, we're out of here. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, let's go see it. I think I know what it's going to be like. Well, let's take a look. Stuck my head in, in there and was like, Jesus, just what you said, man. You know, I, I, you know, I, we, don't, we don't ever want to wish ill will on a brewery, but I think for a brewery to succeed, you have to understand that these, these like, what you think is are these clever gimmicks aren't, this, really that clever they're this, not they're not funny we, we live is, in a world yeah, where this. you have to be thoughtful about how you market yourself and as a as a beer marketer uh it really frustrates me to continue to see people with those practices so tristan what challenges do you foresee coming down the road for the not only for ratio but for the craft beer industry as a whole especially on your side in marketing yeah absolutely i think finding a way to differentiate your brand and staying on brand is something that is going to be super important for every brewery out there. You know, I, I think there's still, you talk to Bart Watson, the chief economist for the Brewers Association, and he, he'll continue to say there's still plenty of room for growth for craft beer in the U.S. Um, I think what there isn't room for is a brewery that doesn't have a clear vision of, um, you know, what they're trying to produce and who they, who they are to their customers. So 
Um, one of the things that I, I always kind of give as advice to other breweries is really invest in a marketing department that understands who your brand is and really own that brand. Um, you know, I think Ratio, you know, we, we really try to own that DIY spirit. We don't try to call ourselves a punk rock brewery per se, even though we are very much inspired by punk rock elements. Um, but we overall really want to celebrate creators, makers, artists, creatives, and and kind of channel that as our kind of point of, of um, focus within the brewing sphere. Uh, there are other breweries who do it differently, and um, I think as long as you can remain very focused on that, you have a footprint to succeed. That's fantastic, and I, I think I would agree with you in the 21st century. You need to be aware of who your market is, what, yeah. Yeah, what your market is. Yeah. And so, before we get out of here, is there any great big events coming along for Ratio here in the next few weeks or months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we always do a big uh, coffee and beer festival uh, here in the tap room. Uh, that usually takes place at the end of March. Um, it's called Cool Beans Beer Fest, and we partner with local roasters to do different takes on our beer with infused coffee. And we also have local breakfast vendors that come out and uh, do some food pairings as well. Um, and then in the spring, we'll be really making a bigger push into Boulder. So be looking forward to some, some really great programming around our Boulder launch um, right up the road. And then, um, you know, we talk about this being a, a really inclusive space. Uh, I think one of our more popular events that'll take place uh, in this kind of late spring, early summer around Pride Week here in Denver is our punk rock drag show. Uh, we partner with One Colorado, and uh, they're the largest LGBTQ community here in Denver. Oh. And we all always do a big fundraiser for them. Um, this is one that I think is probably one of the more unique a brewery uh, puts on. But we, we really decided a couple years back that we wanted to take a chance because it felt like a great opportunity to translate you know, our, our focus of inclusiveness. You know, oh. punk rock may come off a little bit scary to some people but at its core punk rock is all about creating a safe inclusive space for people and so yeah. we wanted to do uh, a fun event partnered with uh, one colorado where we had drag queens performing in our brew house um, and uh, performing to punk rock music and all, of course the beer is, is is flowing as well so that'll be around pride week i'm not really sure on the dates but all if right. you check our facebook page we'll be sure to keep people pride week denver yeah We'll have to put that on our calendar. Absolutely. Tristan Chan, thank you so much for sitting down with us and talking to us about Great Little Brewery. Thank Ratio so Beer Works here in the Rhino neighborhood of Denver. Thank you so much, my friend. Really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate Thanks for coming it. out. All right, cheers. And that's Thanks again to Tristan for taking time to talk to us over a couple of glasses of delicious beer. Um, I just want to remind you, and I know a number of listeners who live along the front range of the uh, Rockies, they listen to the program. This weekend, February 8th, 9th, and 10th, Ratio Beer Works is celebrating their fourth anniversary, and I guarantee if I were close enough, I wouldn't want to miss it. They have an event listing over on their Facebook page, so go over there and check it out. Ratio Beer Works is located at 2920 Larimer Street in the Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Their hours are Sunday through Thursday, noon to 11 p.m., and Friday and Saturday until midnight. 
They don't have a kitchen, but they have food trucks during busy hours. And there are a load of great dining experiences within just a stroll of their front door. If you'd like to know more about this weekend's fourth anniversary celebration for Ratio or anything else about the brewery, you can check them out on Facebook at Ratio Beer Works or at their website, RatioBeerWorks.com. Hey, ha, da, 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 ya, ha, hey, Carde on Scalabuco. What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Freelance journalist Tony Rehagen, how are you, my friend? Doing well, on yourself? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go next. Uh, Colorado was wonderful. And, that uh, sounds awesome. Yeah, and I want to go south, but Marilee's like, you can't go south unless you take me, and I'm, she doesn't She doesn't really want to go right now, so I don't know where I'm going to end up my next trip, but <laughs> I'll have to figure something out in the next couple of weeks. So anyway, how about you? Uh, you been on the road lately? A little bit. Uh, we went, let's see, I went to, uh, where, where have I been lately? I got to go to uh, Tampa next week and then San Jose the week after that's that. That's right. That's right. But you're going to be here this week, right? That's correct. Yep. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be up at uh, Patty's on Saturday night. I've got uh, some cans of that Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout from Windcoop Brewing. And so I can't wait. I, I can't wait I, to try it. Yeah, it's it's either going to be disgusting or delicious, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about brewing. Let's talk about use of adjuncts in brewing. And let's talk about the disingenuous advertising campaign uh, Anheuser-Busch threw at us in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Cor- that was really, that really was taken aback. It, you know, and it's anybody that's been around brewing beer, I mean home brewer, you know that dextrose is used in brewing and that's dextrose comes from corn anheuser-busch happens to get their dextrose from rice rice but they you know what they are the number one consumers in the brewing industry of corn products Mm -hmm. because only bud and bud light use rice as uh, as their adjunct their products, they use uh, Bush, Natty Light, uh, all of their Rolling Rock, yeah, Rolling Rock, Stella Artois. Yeah, they had the other the Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, right, right after that, right, with using the dude, which was right. I, in his own right. So you know, here, okay, so let's explain to the listeners. All right, they were trying to intimate that Miller Light and Coors Light were somehow not as good quality wise because they were using corn syrup. Which right. most people, when they hear corn syrup, they think immediately of high fructose. High fructose. Yeah, yeah, the sweet stuff. But that's not what these brewers are using. They're using, in their brewing process, they're using dextrose. And dextrose is one of those sugars that it cleanly and efficiently it converts uh, to alcohol during the fermentation process. It's got a neutral taste. It's light bodied. It's easy drinking, reduced calories and carbs. So of course they've been using that in the brewing of light American lagers since back to the days of Frederick Pabst and Joseph Schlitz. Yep. Because that was what they wanted. They wanted a lighter, more refreshing beer. And so now Anheuser-Busch in this disingenuous ad campaign bringing this up, uh, I think it's going to backfire on them. 
Well, I think it already has. I mean, if you think about people that drink Bud Light, I mean, first of all, you saw it on Twitter uh, immediately where the national corn reps, the uh, the, the union that represents oh, 40,000 uh, corn growers were, were dumping out Bud Lights into the sink. I mean, and that, that that's a 300, there are 300,000 uh, corn growers, you know, in, in the country. That's, that's a huge share of the people that, you know, that drink, you know, American beer. Right. You know, and, and like I said earlier, I mean, the corn and the corn growers know this. I mean, AB's been using corn products for for a long, long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Mick Ultra, until recently, they were using they were using uh, dextrose, and as well as you know all of those sweet beers, the the Bud Light. Now they're not getting the sweetness from the dextrose. This is the irony. I just believe this is so ironic. They are using high fructose corn syrup in those like Bud Light Apple, Bud Light Lime, oh, Lime Arita, Orange, yeah. all of those barley pops. They're using yeah. high fructose corn syrup in the finished brew on that stuff. So I don't know what the fucking gold Medina they were thinking. I did I guess they thought that okay, most of the people that are seeing these commercials, they're not gonna do the research on the the nitty gritty about it. Which you know, it's yeah. They're well, not going to look it up. They're not. They don't care. Not, yeah. It's it's the it's the gold. It's the golden rule of advertising. It's it's using the big words that pop out out of context. And then it is it's corn syrup. Right. You to think of high fructose corn syrup. I mean, there have been studies that where half of American consumers are concerned about high fructose corn syrup because it's been linked through you know sugary drinks. Right. It's been linked. It's in everything. Right. Uh, it's been linked to you know obesity and then diabetes. It's it's part of this obesity epidemic that's taking. So of course they think that that this is going to make people upset. And steer away. I mean, it, and not and not do any. We, we talked about this, and this this also goes on to what we talked about last time, uh, with you know Bud Light putting their ingredients on there. They're trying to make that play. I predicted that some, this. That somehow that yep. somehow they're, they're going to scare people away by thinking it's somehow health, healthier. But of course, the, the stupid thing, you know, Miller Coors, of course, in this in this atmosphere is going to come right back at them. Oh sure. And, you know, it's been going back and forth on social media. In fact, j- just today, uh, and I was a clip to be clear. We're not saying corn syrup is bad. We just don't use it in Bud Light. It's a less expensive ingredient, and we think a quality light lager only should include the best ingredients. Yeah. So now they're back to the quality thing, right. which yeah. is ridiculous. Don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the you know, here, I hear my notes, okay? They've got, uh, they use it in their Bud Light fruit drinks. Uh, they use it in their limeritas. They use it in the Bud Light Chilada. They use it in Shock Top. A lot of the Goose Island, but, you know, a lot of craft brewers use dextrose in the brewing process. Vinny, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Salerzo, he's the owner-brewmaster of Russian River Brewing. He recommends that they use 5% dextrose in their in their IPAs because uh, it gives it a little lighter-bodied finish. And, and I mean, it's just... That it's so disingenuous, which you know, it's it's hypocrisy and it's phonyism, and I really hope this comes back to bite them in the butt. You know, they've never had any trouble with uh, advertising that's misleading. I think I told you this one time. There was a uh, billboard on Highway 54 between Mexico and Hannibal that said Mick Ultra zero percent fat on it, mm-hmm. no trans fats. That's what it said. No trans fats. Not, who are you appealing to? People that are right. stupid. 
Well, and it's I mean it's it's that first episode of Mad Men when when they're they're deciding how to market Lucky Strike cigarettes. It's because it's toasted and like well all all cigarettes are toasted like right. yeah but we're saying yours is toasted all the other cigarettes give you cancer this right. one is toasted it's and toasted that's, that's exactly what it comes it's back to. toasted the- yeah yeah you know when I worked in marketing way back in the dark ages of the 1980s and 90s one of the things that I was always told about the products that I we were moving was never attack or mention a lesser competitor in any of your pitches or advertising. Because it right. makes you look like and a bully, right? Well, and that's 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 really what the interesting thing from our perspective is is kind of what does this mean? Like, because it's not it's not conventional advertising wisdom. I was reading Forbes about this. You know, I mean, Bud Light is bigger than Miller and Coors combined. It has fifty five percent of the of the share of American light beers. Um, and so, why are you attacking a smaller competitor? And what I've what I've gathered is, I mean, it's, go after what who's really taking your share which is spirits, uh, you know, like Tito's vodka is distilled from corn syrup. Right. Like, why don't you go after somebody that's actually taking your piece? It's the big boys kind of fighting at each other, and now they're both going at it. Um, and so maybe that's a good sign because basically you see these big guys aiming at each other while they can, their main brands continue to lose share to spirits and to craft beer. So maybe maybe right. this is a good sign that really they're panicking about losing their share to, to craft beer. And I, really think that's, I think that's absolutely it. A, I think AB InBev is scared. I mean, they're losing ground to Coors Light, Miller Light, and the craft beer brewers in this country. You know, for so long they were like, "Oh, we're we're the king." Well, now the the crown is falling off the king, and and uh, I think they're scared, and they're just they I maybe they believe that they can't get the spirit wine business, but if they attack the uh, beer business, maybe they'll get a bigger share of that. I don't know. It, it's just, yeah. it's it, it was really stupid. And hopefully now that the the dragon, Daenerys's dragon burned, killed right. the Bud Light Knight and Dilly Dilly might be the final countdown over with. So Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's played out. And they're also, they are the king of that playing out. Uh, the, like the, you know, the the Budweiser frogs were around for way oh, too yeah, long. Yeah, Plus yeah. McKenzie was along. Yeah. They, they just, they really beat the drum. Uh-huh. You know, just stick with your Clydesdales and that bright red wagon and the Dalmatian dogs. I mean, you know, what there you a, go. yeah, right. So <laughs> it's all, you know, it, 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 they don't know what to do except to attack. And it's a phony pretense. It's hypocrisy. And I just, yeah, uh, one insider, industry insider wrote, uh, AB InBev is throwing shade like a 167-year-old Missouri cypress tree. I mean, <laughs> And I, I talked to a good friend of mine that's in the industry, and I won't mention his name, but, you know, he's like, it's been it's been well known and in, in, for a long time that something like this was probably going to come down from AB. I, I still, what just blows me away is that they're, they're slamming on using corn syrup when they also, during the Super Bowl, ran ads for Budweiser Reserve Copper and Mick Ultra and Stella Artois and Corona, which all use dextrose in their brewing process, as does probably 99.9% of all the brewers mm-hmm. in the country. When I did home brewing, we always bottled conditioned with, with dextrose, as do you know brewers all over the place. So just the disingenuous of it thing of it. It's just, yeah. you know... Okay. So, all right, other than the disingenuous and the hypocrisy and the phonyism of all of it, what did you think of the the humor of the ads? 
Um, overall, I, 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 like I said, I think the Bud, Bud Knight is kind of played out. I did not like, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, as, as you are. Mm-hmm. I did not like them sullying themselves by, by inc- being included in a Bud Light commercial with the mountain killing the Bud Knight. Um, I, I'm a huge Big Lebowski fan, so I also would not buy the dude drinking a Stella Artois. Yeah. He, drinks, he drinks High Life. Uh, maybe he's going to change it up. He would go somewhere else or at least be in a bowling alley where Walter would jump up with his gun and be like, am I doing <laughs> the whole world gone crazy? I've got to go watch the dude again. I got to watch the movie. What oh, was so he good. drinking at the bowling alley? Was he drinking white Russians? Not at the bowling alley. The bowling alley, they, he's ordered oat sodas and quote, okay. they were, they were, uh, they were either MGD or they were uh, right. high life and they were in those distinctive bottles. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when it yeah. came, I was like, ah. I, I was like, I knew this was coming. When they started, they were said they were going to put their ingredients on their packaging. Sure. I knew this was coming. I predicted it three weeks ago. You guys can go back and listen to the podcast. No, but the other thing, too, is like what surprised me about this is you did predict that, but we were predicting that they were going to go after craft beer, which makes sense. If they were mm-hmm. going after what I don't understand is them going after Miller Coors. I mean, it's just like because, I mean, I mean, if you really, we know that the hardcore Bud Light drinkers drink Bud Light because they drink Bud Light. Right. Same with Miller guys. The separation, I mean, for in taste, let's, let's face it, is not not big. The difference in health value is not big. Right. It's it's basically for one reason or another, and most of them are usually irrational anyway. But like, you're 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 just kind of shooting yourself in the foot because I mean, at, at the end of the day, you're starting to analyze these two beers when you start to realize like, yeah, there's nothing different about them in the first place. Like. So I, I, I really don't understand that strategy. I totally understand them going after craft beer, like like you said, with your with the ingredients and stuff like that, right. because that's what's scaring them. But yeah. this kind of biting over biting over the smaller piece of the pie doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think maybe they've given up on trying to get some of that craft beer market back. I mean, maybe they have, and maybe they feel like the only thing that they can do now is go after the other big boys. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, Miller Coors, a lot of their distributors deal also with craft beer. I mean, that's just the Mm -hmm. way it is, the way our three-tier system's set up here in the States. So they're a little more open to the craft beer community. Uh, Or this has Mm -hmm. been my observation. This isn't always true, but this is a generalization because generally it is. Whereas AB has been very, very resistant over the years about doing anything except making all the whole world Budweiser. When I was sitting there and I was watching it and I saw it and I yelled out there in the pub, I got monkey loving sticks on a plane. I knew, I knew they were going to do this and boy, if they didn't do it. And, uh, uh, it just, again, the one word that comes up to me is disingenuous. It's just somebody ought to be slapped over at their marketing division for thinking this was a good idea. Yeah, well, it appears to have really blown up in their in their face. Of course, they say all publicity is good publicity, so I don't know. Well, I, I don't. I'm, I'm seeing the bright side of this one. Well, well, you know, here it is. It's got us. We never talk about That's the right. big boys. It's got us talking about AB InBev and SAB Miller Coors. What? Uh, but uh, you know, like I said, most craft brewers use dextrose, and they're not ashamed of it. It's a long. Well, it's been used for a very, very long time as a source of fermentable sugar that does not impart any off flavors uh, or taste yeah, into the all beer. The spears, all ferments. Yep. Right, right. So, anyway. Oh, and one more thing. If AB wants to be truthful in its marketing as it claims it wants to be, then why isn't yeast listed as one of those ingredients on its Bud Light packaging? 
They've got water, hops, barley, and rice, but no mention of yeast. So are they thinking that their drinkers might think they'd get an infection if they drink Bud Light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go down to the pub now, have a beer. That sounds like a plan. That's All right. I'm going to grab a really sugary uh, <laughs> stout out of the fridge. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go down and have one of them Bud Light mm, Limeritas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Tony Rehagen, I'll see you Saturday for some Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout. Sounds good. We should, we should, we'll, uh, we'll have to live tweet it. All right. We will. We will. We yes. will. All right. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. See you, buddy. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Cheers to you, Jessica. Hey, and thank you again for uh, hosting me. Thanks again to Bryant and Deidre out in Berthoud, Colorado, for letting me crash at their place. Uh, I'll be back in Colorado before the year's out. I promise you. I love it out there. And guess what? There's not any shortage of good, good breweries to go see. That's it for this week, folks. Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at the Brews Traveler Podcast. Send me a message. Let me know what you think of the show. It's always great to hear from the listeners. I really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas, please let me know. Message me over on Facebook. Or if you'd rather, send me an email. Cheers at thebrewstraveler.com. Go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating, a glowing review. If you haven't yet, it would mean so much. And if you haven't yet subscribed, why not? Please subscribe and get your friends to subscribe as well. The soundtrack for The Brews Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends, Gaelic Storm. They're getting ready to hit the road, and you can check out their concert schedule on their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. I'm home for a couple of weeks, so I'll be right here. Until next week, if I don't see you at a pub or a tap room, I'll see you right back here on the podcast. Remember, drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And Merrily, as always, you are the measure of my dreams. I do love you more than you'll ever know. So thanks again for listening, everybody, and so long for just a while. Advertising is the rattling of a stick inside a swill bucket. George Orwell, English novelist, essayist, journalist, and critic, 
author of 1984. Born June 25th, 1903, Motahari, India. Died January 21st, 1950, University College Hospital, London, United Kingdom.